it was pretty much hot here today. I think it got up into the 80s. No, it was really nice. Uh, it's going to be hot this summer. I can tell you that much. Maybe we'll get waterproof computers so we can podcast by the pool. Yeah. Yeah, I need a pool first. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, healthcare systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information and have fun along the way. And now, here are your hosts, Reed Smith and Chris Boyer. Welcome to episode 112 of Touchpoint. I am Reed, and over there, I'm pointing, is Chris. Hey, Reed, I'm pointing back at you, too. So there you go. How are you doing today? Uh, doing good. We're wrapping up spring break, and kids go back to school tomorrow, and um, we're on the, the downward slide to summer, I guess. <laughs> well, for kids, it's always an upward slide, but I guess for us adults, right, and parents, it's a downward slide. Well, you know, it's just you're getting closer. Well, welcome back to part two. So if you did not listen to last week, you didn't listen to episode 111. It's not that you can't listen to this episode first, but this is a part two of two. Last week, we talked a lot about KPIs. We referenced and and are kind of framing this off as something we found in the fourth annual state of digital healthcare marketing report that was prepared by Greystone and Klein and Partners. And so that came out back in January. And of course, we did a show around that. But one slide in particular in there uh, talks about KPIs. We did a whole episode last week about all the different types of KPIs. And today we're going to focus on probably one that's considered the most important KPI for a lot of marketers, at least in theory, which is the ROI. That's right. ROI is a KPI. ROI is a KPI. And so if you go back and you look at that Greystone study, a lot of the KPIs that were referenced uh, by those that were surveyed, number one, it did not change from 2017 to 2018, uh, at least not noticeably. But most of what you would consider ROI was down at the bottom of the chart. Most of, I'm not going to say vanity metrics, but a lot more uh, kind of volume-based metrics were up at the top, stuff like page views, et cetera. Today's all about ROI. But before we get too much further into it, let's take a quick break here from one of our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Using powerful AI-driven algorithms, Loyal's Guide helps patients along every step of their journey. From choosing a doctor and finding the nearest location to signing up for an event or clinical trial. Whether you are using Guide's chatbot, live chat, or the powerful combination of both, Loyal's engaging platform integrates seamlessly into your system, maximizes efficiency, and improves patients' digital experience. To learn more or schedule a demo, visit them online at loyalhealth.com forward slash demo. That is loyalhealth.com forward slash demo. Well, we were just talking about that, the top KPIs that were captured in the annual state of digital marketing. Look, why don't we start, why don't we kick off the show talking about those top KPIs just to reorient people back to it? Top was page views. And this wasn't, you had to just pick one, right? It was probably all, all that apply. But 68% indicated that uh, page views was a digital key performance indicator for their organization. After that, click-through rates on paid search campaigns was the second one, followed by growth in social media engagement, followed by unique visits, followed by growth of website visitors, and it kind of goes on on down. So it's kind of a mix of what you know have been historical or, or typical web Google analytic type uh, measures. You see things like the web visitors, unique visits, page views, et cetera. And then you can see social sprinkled in until you get pretty far down the list. Do you get to things like uh, some transparency pieces like online ratings, uh, but then also things like scheduled appointments, online donations, uh, new leads or lead generation, bills paid online, online commerce. Th- those are all you know towards that bottom third. After hearing last week for us discussing around you know all the different types of KPIs, I could see how some of those are KPIs. Obviously, right? They would be leading people to hopefully make decisions or make smart business decisions. But do you really think, Reed, that 
the financial metrics being at the bottom, those financial KPIs being at the bottom, is that a sign that earning money or that getting actually financial return on investment is a low priority for us hospital marketers? I don't know if it's a low priority as much as it is the expectation of the marketing department uh, maybe it's still not at that ROI level for, for a lot. I'm not, I'm not saying there aren't organizations out there that measure ROI and do it very effectively. But for a lot of folks, it's about branding. It's about awareness. It's about community relations. And depending on the size of the organization, complexity of the system, complexity of the market, competition within the market, for that matter, it may not be a huge uh, indicator of you know how we're measured as a department. The more we get into starting to really focus in on financial return on investment as a primary KPI, the more problematic it becomes sometimes for us marketers. And it's not just our industry, which is the the great thing about this, or maybe not the great thing about this is, but marketers have been struggling for a very long time in all industries trying to specifically determine how much of their activities actually directly contributed to that purchase of the of your product or your service. And I think that kind of makes sense, right? Because if you think about the complexity of the customer journey, let alone the patient journey, it's so hard and so nuanced. And sometimes you don't have everything specifically in line, referenced in line for you to be able to see, hey, this one thing led to this directly. But I think we have gotten to a place and this will go kind of as a lead in, I guess, to this first article that you found, which is called Measures for Measures. The job of this article, which again, we'll, we'll link to, is that there are really too many KPIs uh, at this point. And if you look at the digital report that, that Greystone put out, uh, there's 20 of them listed, 20 KPIs listed. Now, some, some of those are very specific metrics like bounce rate, for example, is on there or page views or what have you. But some of them are a little more generic and there could actually be measurements like several different types of measurements in this one category, like click-through rates on paid search campaigns or growth in social media engagement. Well, what type of engagement? What platform? There could be like several metrics within even what we've got listed here as 20 categories. Are we getting to a place that there really is just too much to measure or we've got too many KPIs? The author of this article, he actually called it a data arms race. That, and he says that many of us have been hoodwinked into believing that bigger is better and have set about measuring everything in the hope of uncovering a metric that justifies campaign decisions and impresses their boss. In part, justifying your, your campaign decision. But I've always been a big believer in you need to use your data to tell a story or to illustrate a point. Otherwise, um, what you're going to be doing is just throwing metrics up and not giving any context. So impressing your boss, in, in, to me, indicates that you're actually showing your boss that you're strategically trying to measure what you're doing. Which is good. But I think we're getting maybe to a place where we have so many metrics that I'm not sure it's any clearer how well we're doing in some cases. (laughs) It's just more measures for more measures sake. And I mean, I saw an article on on LinkedIn and I didn't even read the article, but it was basically somebody came out with a new monitor, you know, and it's like the size of your desk. And I made some just wisecrack about that, like that monitor is only good for people for, you know, using Excel. That's kind of the thing, right? Is it's like at some point, like having a bigger monitor is nice, but at some point it's like, do you really need a monitor this big? Because everything's so small in it now. It's like you can't get anything done. (laughs) So everything's good to a point. It's the whole dessert's really good, but like too much, too much candy or too much. It's just, we're, we're kind of in that place. I feel like a little bit. And that's why just because it can be measured It doesn't necessarily mean you should measure it. And you need to be very discriminatory about the metrics that you're using to track and that measurement that you're doing. Now, when it comes to ROI, though, it always comes back to the one thing that's kind of inflexible in health systems, which is the fact that a dollar is worth a dollar is worth a dollar. And would you say that even in healthcare, that if you say you contributed $1 to the company's bottom line, that means the same as if a physician was uh, seeing a new patient. Yeah. And it could be cost savings, right? But it's the idea that like your your net gain is some sort of a measurable 
amount of money. That that's really the gist. We've heard all the stories through the years about, you know, we cut out the newsletter and we did it as a blog and saved us seventy five thousand dollars a year. Okay, well that's real money that was being spent somewhere else and is now not. The the harder part, like you referenced earlier, is the drawing the line from activities that we're doing to new dollars. And so that's the difference. New dollars versus you know, we're not spending current dollars. And there are two sides of the same coin of financial ROI. You're driving in a new volume or you're saving money on the back end. And both of those do really apply. But again, if you don't have a, a, a means or an approach towards like really going after that financial ROI, I think you're going to run into some of the challenges. And we'll, we'll talk through some of these challenges. In this article that Seth Godin said that measurement is fabulous unless you're busy measuring what's easy to measure as opposed to what's important to measure. So do you think that a lot of times uh, when you look at our Greystone list of 20 KPIs, are we just measuring those because those are the easiest things to measure? Uh, A lot of it, yeah. Well, and probably a lot of it is legacy, right? It was the only thing we could measure at one point. You had a Google Analytics account and you could see how many page views and how many visitors and then how many unique visitors and how many, you know, how time on page and bounce rate and all that. Number one, yes, it was easy to measure because it was right there in your face. It was already in a dashboard. But secondly, I do think it was probably like all you could measure at some point. It was really the only thing you had to pull from. So that stuff is hung around from a legacy perspective because number one, we can communicate Uh, a perceived value in those things. And so your leadership goes, oh, this is how many unique people came to the website this month. Like they get, they understand what that is versus, you know, maybe a newer KPI or an ROI metric that is harder for them to grasp. Well, what does that mean? You know, even like engagement numbers on, on social, for example. I agree with you hundred percent. The one part that's a big challenge is, is indicating that ROI is sometimes may not be valuable to an organization. There's another article I found on uh, Destination CRM. I read some of the best websites sometimes, don't I, read? They indicated in here, a recent study showed that marketing executives and brand managers have very significant challenges, but one of the top challenges that they feel they have and they feel is most valuable to them is measuring ROI. 97% of them want to measure ROI. That's interesting. And so that's in front of things like security issues, addressing some of the new technology like AI, marketing automation, et cetera, and even the privacy and transparency piece. Way above all of that, way above all of those other things that we think about when we're implementing any kind of digital technology, the person who did this research was from a company called Brand Keys, and he said that it's not surprising that marketing executives are so worried about proving ROI, given that most are measuring the wrong things. More specifically, these leaders are focused too much on social media metrics such as likes, shares, and retweets which rarely translate into engagement or revenue. Okay, I've got a question about that. And don't, don't answer. We're, we're, I'm going to tease this and, and you can answer it after the break. But should we even be reporting social media metrics? Don't answer. We're going to take a brief break here from one of our sponsors and we'll be right back. Today's show is brought to you by Blue Spire, a full-service digital marketing agency focused on complex and highly regulated industries of healthcare, senior living, and financial services. Rapid changes in the healthcare industry are causing consumers to seek out trusted advice, demand more transparency and access to information and content. With over 30 years of healthcare experience, Blue Spire knows how to help you reach, communicate with, and gain trust from these consumers. We help you engage with the right content at every touch point, from the first symptom search to appointment scheduling through care management. Visit us at bluespiremarketing.com to learn how we can help you deliver relevant, engaging content through ever-changing touch points that matter. Before we took a break, we were looking at an article on Destination CRM, and, and it was talking about some of the different challenges. And, and you made reference to, to a, uh, I guess, a quote in there about kind of social media metrics and some of these types of things. And so, and I, and I asked you, should we even be reporting social media metrics? 
Like what what's should mm-hmm. we? Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, uh, so the answer to that is not as easy as you state it, Reed, because it depends on what you're trying to measure. It depends on what your KPI is, right? See last show. If your KPI is really to understand how you're engaging and managing audiences that you have some direct touches with, or even if you're testing out different uh, messaging or different concepts with uh, your social media audience before you take it to a broadcast medium, I think that in those cases, the engagement might be a good effective metric. But if you're talking about marketers measuring ROI, Social media metrics are far from that. I don't care how many times Facebook tries to redo their metrics, which they just did, right, to make it more looking like social media is impacting the bottom line. People rarely convert on social media. So why measure it? Are you talking about organic or paid or both? I'm talking a little bit about both here. Don't you think, though, that you can draw a line? I mean, theoretically, don't you think you would be able to draw a line from the activity that happens online, whether it's social or not, through to some sort of an ROI? Like, that's the goal, right? It's not that we can't do that, but it's just maybe more often than not, we we can't. Or it's hard to draw that line. Don't get me wrong. Social media is, I would say, maybe the fourth highest referrer to our website, if you strip out all the organic searches to our website. So sure, you can measure social media as being sort of somewhere along the the customer journey. They eventually see something on social and click through to your website, and they may make an appointment. That may happen. But I would say that's certainly a secondary metric to social media and not really a primary, despite how many of us invest a lot of money in Facebook advertising to get people to convert. True. That's my opinion. Well, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, we do spend a lot of time and a lot of money there without kind of that end goal in mind. And we'll talk more about that, I guess. Well, that's a good segue, right? Into I keep finding all these great these great articles for us to talk about, but this one was really looking at how you could track your customer journey in real time to empower your sales team. But despite it talking about your sales team, it really referenced in the middle of this article something I thought to be really fascinating, which is the four pillars of measuring marketing ROI. The first one, Reed, is probably the one where in hospitals and health systems it gets to be the most complicated, which is knowing your costs. We have to have calculators on the website, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. So how exactly. much is a knee replacement again? <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere between two thousand and twelve thousand dollars, or maybe a hundred. You never know. I mean, it's just <laughs> I kid, but I don't kid. Knowing your cost is a tough one, and and maybe it's not knowing the cost as much as working with the financial leaders of the organization to understand what is most effective to measure within your organization because of the way the funding works for a lot of these groups. Uh, Gross revenue may be what your CFO or controller wants you to report, whereas others are going to say, no, 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 it's contribution margin or whatever it is, right? So I think really it's not so much knowing your cost as it's knowing your organization and getting clear direction from them on what is a financial uh, or a clear financial metric that they want to look at. And if you don't have any kind of established, consistent contribution margin around your organization, which many complex health systems, particularly those that have are you know have a vast geographic disparity, it's hard for them to determine what that general contribution margin might be for a particular diagnosis or procedure. If you work with some of the major CRMs that have the contribution margin estimators across the industry, they, that could really help you get to that cost. But a lot of times, it's so hard to to determine that. And it may even be that some of the contribution margins may be negative, meaning they may be loss leaders. If you're sending someone in to have a baby at your organization, the health system may, may lose money actually delivering the baby. But the reason why they do it is because you, you want to encourage competition around the cost of your delivery so that you actually have more mothers coming and delivering at your, your health system because, quite frankly, you get better downstream revenue from that. That's another calculator there. How do you calculate downstream revenue? Knowing your cost as it relates to the marketing department, well, okay, sure. That one's an easier one to wrap your mind around and, and actually get a hold of. What are we spending on advertising? 
you know, what kind of overhead do we have as far as staff or it's your budget. That's not so hard. It's just harder to take, you know, it's not a consumer goods company where you can take some of the marketing activities and costs and things like that and then get to this equation because we're not setting, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit. So the first one was knowing your costs. The second one is identifying marketing activities. Um, so what are you spending money on? You know, advertising obviously is is a big one. Even educational opportunities, attending conferences, those types of things they have listed in here. So, I mean, that kind of all goes into that. They're kind of intertwined in that, you know, knowing your cost piece. The problem comes in, which what they have the next one is, is connecting activities to sales opportunities. Well, the problem is, is we don't have a real clear understanding of what the sales opportunity is. And I don't mean that from like, well, I mean, sure we do. We're, you know, we want to grow the bariatric service line. You know, it's like, well, that's fine. But, and this is where the revenue and the reimbursements and the, you know, it's not a $29 iPhone case. That's where some of this starts to break down or it's harder. Absolutely. And there are things that, you know, if you're trying to measure marketing contribution to a particular initiative, a particular, in this case, a financial initiative, you have to start then you start tallying up all the different things that you're doing to maybe drive that demand. So you could be doing brand activity work that supports the service line, let's say you you mentioned for right, the uh, bariatric surgery, maybe as part of your branding campaign work, um, one of the services that you promote at your organization is that you're, you do, you're very good at bariatrics, or maybe you won an award around that. So do you take the monies you use to promote the brand and attribute that to the revenue generating opportunity? I mean, connecting your marketing tactics to your outcomes sometimes can get very complicated, and you're, you, you'd have to calculate in multiple different ways. Yeah, you have to. And again, I think this is where it goes back to making sure everybody's on the same page at the onset or outset. And what are we measuring? What kind of metrics do they want to see? Because the problem is, is like you run around and do all this stuff and you, you, you feel good about it. You take this dashboard to leadership and they're like, I don't know what any of this is. And I'm not sure how this helps us. Making sure it's like, well, what are we measuring? What would be helpful? How do, how do we show success financially? So one of the things that we do at our organization is we create an overview of like this. These are the KPIs that we're going to measure for this campaign or this activity. And we share that before we even get started with a business partner so that they're on board with that and they contribute to that, right? If they say, oh, well, we want to measure this over here, that really gives us a good opportunity for help maybe close some of the gaps and where our data may be and more times than not, the the biggest gap that we have is closing that last one to how do we attribute this to revenue? And we have such a hard time getting to the bottom of that. There are some people that are much more deft at doing that within a health system, but others that can be very, very complex to calculate that. So those are kind of the four pillars. They end with obviously the measuring the results. It's an interesting article, you know, being committed to data analytics and being able to track uh, you know, your customer journey in real time. So we talked about read, we talked about some of the challenges, some of the platforms that you know, or the, the pillars that would be important to this. Let's say assume we get everything in line. How do we start ensuring that we can be consistent about measuring ROI? Let's assume that we've been able to connect the dots. We got buy-in from the from the service line or from the business partners around how we're gonna measure it. Let's say we even have that financial calculation, that agreed upon number that our activity would be, and we've aligned all of our marketing activities. I want to turn now to something I found on Forbes about the five ways to measure the ROI of your marketing activities. And one of the things they say is, while you're doing this, while you're starting to measure ROI, one of the most important things to do is, first first of all, check to make sure your data is clean. Because a lot of times we say, hey, we want to measure this, and we assume we know where we're going to get that data from. Well, you want to make sure, too, that as you're getting that data, that that's clean data that you can track through to that activity. And a lot of that is built around, you know, from a digital perspective, you're tracking codes. Maybe you, 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 you set up vanity URLs to track, you know, lift from a radio spot or something that's hard to track that's not digital to digital. But you want to start to make sure that your data is being consistent and clean. And that's why, again, we've talked about this in a previous episode about measurement. Establishing a consistent data dictionary is important too. Yeah, talk more about that. Let's say you do a campaign in the marketplace and it involves radio and it involves print and it involves social media and it involves 
paid search advertising. Well, all of those tactics that go out into the market, they usually come back with a variety of different ways that they measure the success of that. So think about radio. What do you think they they measure most about radio? Reach, sure. How many people could potentially hear it? And then if you put in a, a URL and, and people actually, you know, go to Google and type in that URL, which I'm not convinced they do from a radio spot, but let's say they do, <laughs> maybe you could track some kind of action based on that ad. Those are kind of the metrics that you can measure from radio. Let's say now you go to social media. Well, what can you measure on social media? You can measure how many people saw your social media posts, both paid and organic. You can track to see how they they um, interact with it, and then you can track to see how many people click through. Well, if you start to see a consistency now between the two different types of uh, tactics I talked about, radio has awareness. They have the ability to measure how many people can reach. You can reach, etc. Well, so does social media. It's maybe it's a different type of reach, but it still is a reach metric, right, or an awareness metric. And then others may have engagement metrics. Social media has a lot of engagement metrics. How do people like to it? How do they respond? And then the third piece in your data dictionary are your conversion metrics. How many of those actually click through to take that action? So what we do is we develop like a consistency. And we say when we talk about these types of metrics, they're awareness metrics. When these are engagement, these are conversion. Now what we're doing is we're establishing a data dictionary. I like that. The idea of having clean data is is hard because it's coming from a lot of different places, as we've talked about. But ultimately, you've got to have that to get to some sort of an ROI metric, along with what they talk about here is setting a business objective. And we've talked a lot about this uh, at this point, which is what ultimately you're trying to do. It, It can be not in the ROI sense of the word, but it could be growing a fan base or whatever, you know, kind of a thing, having new email addresses added to the list, or I want to increase this service line, you know, growth from the service line by X percent, you know, things like that, you know, would be more of on the ROI front. Absolutely. And really closely related to that is determining measurable goals, right? And you want to set your goal. Um, we're going to be doing this. So this is where we're trying to reach. And this is a really good, a really good time when you can start to talk to your business partners and say, hey, look, you keep saying ROI like a financial ROI. Is there a metric that you use, a golden metric that you use to measure this? If we were to deliver you five new patients, what would be the financial contribution from your end? And oftentimes, if you can't get to that financial contribution, a good substitute for that is net new patients to your organization. We brought in 5% more people over the last year, or we brought in 35 people from this particular activity to make an appointment with your department or, or what have you. That could be a nice surrogate of a financial return on metric because it assumes that they have some kind of financial value from that or some kind of financial worth from that new patient. And again, I think this is, you can't do this in a, uh, in a silo, right? I mean, you've got to work with others within the organization. So everybody's on the same page. So after you do that, then you can start to hone in on your targets. You can ensure that you're spending time within the first, within the campaign while it's going. You're optimizing. You're continually trying to make it better. You're finding out what's working well, what's not working well. You really start to measure the effectiveness of what you're doing in a more holistic way. But ultimately, at the end of the day, Reed, we fall back into how do we report out on ROI? And that's the big question here. Right? How do us as organizations solve that problem? I think, number one, we've got a data issue. So this very first piece about you know, cleaning up the data, um, I think it's a big one. So it's going to be really hard to report on an ROI if we don't have clean data. And from an interoperability standpoint, the ability to, to be able to track things across a continuum of uh, experiences that people may have. That's why CRMs are so important, or at least the assumption of CRMs are that important. You have to set them up that way. We're just in the process of kicking off our CRM, and it's really important you know, that we keep reminding ourselves, if we don't identify we want to measure it now, a year from now, we won't be measuring it. So even now, we have to start thinking about how do we get to those metrics? How do we capture those the, the data gaps? How do we use the system in a way so that a year from now, when we're using it, we're actually getting the, the return on investment we want from it? 
And those are great you know, conversations to have because, again, going back to the Greystone study, confidence in CRM has gone down, whereas confidence in other types of activities are continuing to grow, like digital marketing, for example. How are these things effective? What are they good for? And how do we understand that you know, they really are doing what they're supposed to be doing? Are you struggling with online reputation management? Binary Health Analytics provides healthcare systems, hospitals, and physician practices a complete view into managing patient feedback from online ratings and reviews and especially surveys. It continuously mines feedback for sediment, uncovering timely and actionable insights. Its management tools help turn these insights into an opportunity to increase patient engagement, manage reputation, and improve patient experience. To learn more about Binary Health Analytics, visit Binary Fountain online at binaryfountain.com. That is binaryfountain.com. All right, welcome back to the Ask the Expert portion of the podcast, and I do have an expert with me today, Jackie. Jackie Martin is with Branch Strategy, also a fellow Texan, or you live in Texas, I guess. I do. I was born here, grew up elsewhere, and I'm back, so I I still kind of claim it. Thanks for hopping on and spending a few minutes. Yeah, thanks for having me. You had posted a really great post, blog post, for lack of a better word, on LinkedIn, or that's where at least I saw it. A little while back. When did you post that? It's been a couple of weeks ago, maybe something like that. Yeah, I think early March. We'll link to it in the show notes, but the the post itself is called The Benefits of Marketers Thinking Long-Term. And I saw this and we thought, you know what, that's a really interesting way that I guess marketers struggle with kind of the more tactical or short-term wins versus long-term thinking. So before we jump into that, though, maybe give just a little bit of your background and kind of what prompted you to write something like this. I mean, I've been a a consultant for about 15 years. I came in, you know, right out of college at the at the dawn of digital marketing um, in the early 2000s, and started off in pharma. So when I made the jump to healthcare in 2011, most people think healthcare can be so restrictive, and I'm thinking, wow, we can do so many great things we couldn't do in pharma. And then working through that, going from a graphic designer to you know, then information architect became the thing and then user experience became a thing. And then three or four years ago, we really started to struggle, I think, in the consulting industry with, yeah, but who's, you know, who's steering the ship? And that's where digital strategy really came out as its own discipline. And I, I jumped into that head first because I always feel like we should build things with a purpose. And that was something that was really missing from our industry. And that's something that I think most uh, most organizations struggle with, which is not building to build, but building with something bigger in mind. And that really is what Branch Strategy, uh, which I founded, is based on, is that we need to be building things specifically for a purpose, specifically for a goal. And no matter how small our tactic is, it should, should be pointing to that. And so it's very much a, a passion of mine. I mean, I'm seeing folks at, at hospital systems, I'm starting to see specifically the digital strategy job title uh, pop up at different places. And it's called something different, you know, at, at different places, I guess. But it seems like, you know, hearing you say that and then reading this post specifically, I feel like most of those folks are actually the director of digital tactics, not, not of <laughs> digital strategy. <laughs> and I don't mean that in a negative sense, but that's the reality that most of us live in. It's, hey, guys, I'm late for the next meeting. I, I've got a bolt. And, you know, and it's just trying to check off that list, right? It's task oriented to some degree. Is that fair? No, it's, it's fair. And it's not because I don't think they want to be that way. I think it, there's no one, I've never met somebody in, in marketing who's, who says, you know, I don't, I don't want to be strategic. I don't want to think long-term. I don't think anybody ever shows up to work with that mindset. And, but we find ourselves, you know, we could be two years into a new job and we look back and we realize that we didn't get the changes done that we had hoped. And it's because things happen, life happens. And it becomes very difficult when you're living and breathing something every day and you're putting out those fires. It's hard to take that time to, 
be strategic. And, and it's a very tough place to be in when you want to be that way, but you, you just, yeah, you're going from meeting to meeting and dealing with one thing to the next. It's, it's tough to, to kind of step back and take that perspective. So what, what do you recommend for folks? I mean, is it like when you, when you're thinking about that, cause I think you're right. Uh, it's kind of like when you, like you're trying to get in the lazy river, like at some resort, right? Like it's just moving and you're like, okay, let's see. I think I see a spare tube coming down there and I'm going to hop in. You know, you're just trying to get in and all of a sudden then you're off, right? And it's like, hey, I need you in this meeting. Hey, we've been working on this thing. Can you take this and get with such and such? You know, and you just all of a sudden you're just doing stuff. And so how do you get to a place where you're able to actually think for a second and actually put the strategy hat on like what what does that look like for people you really need to come in and accept that strategy does not have the answers so it's very easy for us to kind of jump into that lazy river and go into that you know appeal to uh, ignorance fallacy because all of a sudden if we don't know with 100% certainty you know step a through z to get us to that end goal, then we don't want to do it. And it's that human nature inside of us where we don't want our name associated with something that may fail. It's a very, very tough place to be. And that's why strategy itself is, is a, uh, it's, it's a funny thing because we, we like it. We know ultimately we should be patient first. We know that we need to be able to have a plan and, and map to it. But when it comes into that day-to-day, that struggle is because we ultimately don't want to fail. And I think that's where it starts to become misunderstood because it doesn't have to be that way. The biggest thing that we can do is start to change our mindset where the tactics that we're working on should be just hypotheses. So this is not a, a guarantee. I remember working through a, a, a very large taxonomy project with a client and uh, a services taxonomy. So it's an incredibly long and multi-year process and you deliver the work and there and they said uh you know so is this is this going to work and i remember in this meeting i said why well, I, I mean i i hope so but it's just a hypothesis and then the guy turns to me and says well well what are we paying you for and i'm like well if if a, a partner comes in and ever makes a promise that this solution is going to solve all of your problems they're lying to you because we don't know i mean we could put the best strategy we could have the best work, we can go out and interview patients, we can do everything we're supposed to do. But at the end of the day, it's just a hypothesis that we have to prove. And so one of the, the I think the best things as you walk into that step into that lazy river is to first admit that this could fail. But if you change that culturally, and you start talking about your projects as just hypotheses, then you're opening yourself to these opportunities to learn to do something better and you're setting yourself up to where you can be out daring in your decisions because that's really where change comes in is when you're willing to take that jump right and push past some short-term goal yeah i don't feel like we're real good at that (laughs) you talk about changing that culturally because have you seen that work with leadership i mean is there is there a pathway culturally to make that work yeah there is because if you start think of it if you were to start with something small. Um, you know, the example in, that I gave in this article that, that you read is around location information on a website. And so if, if we're going to be patient first, at the end of the day, we could agree, I think everyone would agree, hey, we should say what service we offer online and tie that to the location. So if you're a, you know, eight hospital system, 12 hospital system, two hospital system, it doesn't matter. But I would as a patient know, if I have an MRI that I need to get done, I have to go to, you know, the second floor of the main building, and I walk in, you know, to the left of the elevators. And that's where I go to receive my care. That's a thing that we should, we should go to. That's the problem we're trying to solve. The problem is when you really get into it, there's a lot of things that would make that very, very complicated in terms <laughs> of trying to define what is a treatment. How are we going to be tracking physicians and what they're privileged to do and where things are and where do I park because that might be different. And so all of a sudden, you're, you could be faced with an incredibly large problem and we could just walk away from it. 
Or we could literally (laughs) go in and say, all right, we can do this in the next month. This is within our budget and I have 100% control. And we are literally going to pull this huge thing that we want to do down to the most basic level. And all we're going to do is tie that MRI. So we've got one location at one hospital and we're going to take that and we're going to put it out there and do it right. But we're going to do it at this level that no one needs to get approvals for it. Legal is not concerned because there's no doctors associated with MRI, right? It's just a procedure. We can do that. And all of a sudden that creates this opportunity within your team to say, wait a second, we did it here. And now we have, we learned, we have to have this database connect with this one. We need to set it up this way. And we're going to start to build upon that to now go to something maybe a little bit harder. But we can start to build on that of something I can control before I try to go boil the ocean, right? (laughs) And tie all services to all locations. Because that can be, I mean, that's just so big and it's huge and it can be completely overwhelming. And so by starting so small and starting where something that you can control, then you really can build a lot of consensus and you can start to prove out a methodology and prove out that ROI. So I think what I'm hearing you say then is, is looking for, you know, short-term wins are not bad, but it's having them build towards those long-term objectives or a bigger goal of some sort. Absolutely. And that's the difference is because we can really get discouraged by a huge initiative and it, in human nature for, it really makes it difficult for us to want to go out and do that. We'll drag our feet you know, it's kind of like, would you rather, you know, finish that big presentation that you have to leadership where maybe there's some things you have to present that are not so fun or find that time and, and go clean out your email instead? I mean, your chances are you're going to, you're going to go put off that thing that you're dreading, right? Cause it's big, it's hard, it's difficult. Taking that same approach to our, our strategic planning when we bite these things off so small where we can go out and find success in it, then that allows us to, you know, build on that. And it, and it gets our team and our IT department and physicians on board who might, you know, be also dragging their feet on change. One thing that I always point to is uh, this gentleman, Roger Bannister in 1954, ran the first sub four minute mile ever in, that we've recorded. And then, you know, what, a couple months later, another gentleman was able to do it. And then a year later, three more guys were able to do it. And then now we've got, you know, high school track athletes athletes that can do it. And it's because it had never been done before. Therefore, nobody had ever tried it. And then once one guy does it, everyone else falls in line. And so we tend to just focus on those little tactics until we go to a conference and we hear about another health system that's doing something. And then we just play copycat instead of sitting down and really looking at what can we do here for our patients. And then we get discouraged. So then we don't do anything. And it's that kind of cycle that just continues to happen. And so by focusing on an, something incredibly small that we have 100% control over, it can build that idea, just like they're running a sub four minute mile, wait a second, we can actually do this. We could actually make, make these changes. And I would assume that kind of gets you out of this weird cycle of like the shiny object syndrome, like you're just buying more technology to throw at stuff and not really understanding, you know, what is it long-term we're trying to accomplish? Because I, I think the problem with just looking at well, what did the Mayo Clinic do, or what did Cleveland Clinic, or, you know, pick the pick the big brand, you know, mm-hmm. is maybe that's not what you need. There's a good chance it's not. And just by the sheer fact that like someone else did it doesn't mean you should. Maybe, maybe you should. I don't know. Or maybe you should. The outcome should be the same, but the way you get there is different. The little sketches, which I really like in this in this blog post. Did you do those? I did. It's probably the most fun, right? Yeah. Part of writing blog posts <laughs> yeah, I get completely sidetracked with my yeah. Yeah, PowerPoint drawings. But anyway, but it is you know, this idea that um, if we're just focused, ultimately is the end goal being the short-term tactics, then you're just all over the place and you don't really ever get to a resolution. 
you know, you're just kind of kicking the can down the road. Yeah. One of the worst things I, and I see it all the time at conferences is when, you know, you have a big, a big brand present and they'll have their tech, you know, their tech slide with uh, 50 logos on it or however many there are, you know, and you'll have, you'll have a hundred people in the audience stand up and take pictures. And I'm thinking, no, that is, that is like the opposite of, of what you should be focused on because the problem is, is when you go out and, you know, you get the sales pitch on these solutions, you're, you're creating typically more tech debt where all of a sudden, if you're still trying to solve that locations to services problem that we were talking about earlier, uh, you may be adding a, a completely other locations database now that you have to connect and have to manage and double check, which is the opposite direction of where you would be going. And what tends to happen is, is that that puts that, that business owner, that marketer at the mercy of whatever, you know, technology or salesperson walks in their front door instead of having it be strategy first, because to flip it, you would want to ask that technologist, that third party vendor, how are you going to fit into my strategy? Not how is your product going to fix my problems? And that's a really important distinction And that the worst thing sometimes we can do is think that there's some kind of turnkey easy win. It's like twice as much money (laughs) than what we were promised. And so we want to have that strategy first where I can, I can look at that potential vendor partner and say, this is what we're, this is what we're trying to accomplish. Here is our strategy. This is what we're looking to do for our patients. This is how far we are and that how, how can you benefit me? How can you fit in? And it makes you stronger to stand up against those really good sales pitches because you can start to see, yeah, that's great. That's fancy. That's, that's awesome that you guys offer that. But how does that help me with what I'm trying to, to pursue? And it, and it can really empower somebody in their position rather than kind of tossing them all over the place. Yeah, that's that kind of that age old analogy of the tail wagging the dog. And that's where we find ourselves in a lot of cases. And if we did spend time on that strategy, then can you imagine how those demos and those pitches would go? It would flip it completely. Because typically we sit in these and you listen to this uh, this pitch and, and the product, I'm not nogging the product. I'm sure it's wonderful. You know, fill in the blank piece of technology. We sit there and typically like I'll hear people say, you know where we could use this? You know, I'm thinking, wait, what? Are we trying to come up with reasons to buy it? Or like, what are we, what are we doing? You know, and, and that's, that's a really interesting concept of like, look, I'd be all for listening to your pitch. Uh, but here's where I'm trying to be. So you're going to have to tell me how it fits into this equation. You know, I, I think we want to, you know, we, people come in, we like them. We're looking at a really good solution. You, you, you want to start to ima- imagine it. But again, that, that pulls us into, are we creating a bigger mess? Or are we getting away from what we're supposed to do? And so what I also wanted to represent here in these visuals to describe, to describe it on the podcast is that within one quarter of real strategy work, you can all of a sudden have tactics that will point to that long-term goal. So this doesn't mean that you're, you know, not getting any work done or it takes years to develop it. It it does not have to be a long process. It literally can be as simple as writing down what you're wanting to happen from your patient's point of view. So if we go to that example on, you know, tie and location to services, we would write down to say, Hey, as a patient, when I go in and search for MRI on my website or on Google, I need to be able to tell the patient where to go. Because if they're holding a script in their hand for that service, they need to have an accurate place to physically get there. That's what location data's goal is, right? Is to get our patient to physically get there. So what are we missing? And it allows you to do that audit to say, okay, you know what? We don't tell a patient where to park. We don't tell a patient where to go. We give them absolutely no information. And so you can literally start with something as simple as adding a paragraph of copy to your MRI page to tell the patient where the heck to park and where to go. That could solve that very, very first step. And so when you have that vendor partner come in and they're like, we want to sell you our, you know, you can sign a 25-year contract and we can manage all of your Google listings. You can look at it and be like, no, we're not ready for that yet. Because we're still, you know, we're still here on that on this first step. And it really puts you in control. And I think that's where all of us want to be from a personal development standpoint. We want to 
be coming up with the right strategy and utilizing our skill sets and being able to push our organization to do bigger and better things without getting sucked into that daily meetings and daily fires. So folks that are listening and and are thinking like, you know what, (laughs) I'm in kind of this tactic rut or cycle or, you know, whatever you want to call it, or, you know what, I do need to be more uh, focused on a longer term vision and play. What is something somebody can go do today? This is going to be super unsexy and (laughs) not very fun. Uh, but the best thing that you can do if you're if you have a project that you're tackling, it could be something as big as a total like replatform, or it could be a little you know ortho campaign. Something it doesn't matter. You're going to open up a Microsoft Word document and just type out what am I wanting this to do for our patient. It can be two paragraphs, three paragraphs, but just something where from the patient's perspective, how are they going to interact with this? And you're going to share that with your team. So whether it's the developer who's writing the code, um, the agency partner that's going to be designing it, it doesn't matter. What you're going to do is get everybody to see the vision of what this project is going to do for your patient. And then you are going to execute against that. Because what will happen is three months down the road, when you're in a point in the project where you just are getting really sucked into all these things that document can really pull you back to reality. It's like, wait a second, what are we, what are we doing here again? Oh, okay. All right. Then you know what? This isn't a big deal. We can, you know, cut it or I can, I can make a clear decision. And so at the very beginning, it's always so important to start out with from a patient's perspective, what is this project going to do? How is it going to benefit them? And it's literally can be just a couple quick paragraphs and, and that can do wonders for the success or failure of a project. I think that's so great. Thanks for coming on for a few minutes and chatting. I, I really appreciate this. And uh, there were several things that you mentioned in there, like tech debt, that uh, I'm going to have to start using that. For those that that found this enlightening, you know, thought something was interesting, something caught their attention, they want to reach out to you, what's, what's the best way they can do that? Drop me a note via email at jackie.martin at branchstrategy.com and, uh, or connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I would love to to get folks to hear if they have any other good tips. Cause I think that this is a really common problem that everybody faces day to day is trying to find you know, practical ways to get yourself kind of out of that, that cycle. Absolutely. And we'll link to, uh, of course your email, LinkedIn, all that kind of good stuff in the show notes, as well as, uh, the blog post in question. So Jackie, thanks for uh, spending a few minutes with us and we look forward to having you back on in the future. No, I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Thanks. At HealthGrades, Better Health gets a head start. They help millions of consumers each month to find and schedule appointments with their provider of choice. With their scheduling solutions and advanced analytics applications, they partner with more than 500 hospitals across the country to cultivate new patient relationships, improve patient access, and build customer loyalty. To learn more, visit them online at healthgrades.com. That is healthgrades.com. All right, Reed, wrapping up the show here. We are almost at the end of our show about ROI, and I am shocked I did not bring out the ukulele. Shocked. You should have. <laughs> not as shocked as our listeners would be if I did. I've been asked a number of times to bring it out of retirement. Who knows? Maybe we will. Uh, uh, we'll hear the ukulele in the near future. Fingers crossed. You never know. It may make an appearance. Before we get into a couple of things and wrapping up the show, just a quick plug for the network. Uh, touchpoint.health is the website. Uh, we certainly appreciate you subscribing on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen. Our newest show, Health Failed, Episode 1. Maybe you've heard of the trailer, but Episode 1 came out this past week. Mona Siddiqui, she's the Chief Data Officer for Health and Human Services. I sat down and visited with both Zach and Stephen at South by Southwest. And it's a really interesting conversation because if you remember, the, the idea of that show is uh, how failure leads to innovation. So listening to her talk about her career and how she ended up where she did. And some of the things along the way was really cool. 
You may also want to check out, there is, uh, of course, the weekly data point show, which this past week was why patient satisfaction scores tell only part of the story. So that's cool. You should check that out. But there are now four, soon to be five, special episodes of Data Point focused on the annual conference and expo for the American Telemedicine Association. So some really cool stuff there. Be sure to go check that out again, touchpoint.health. Uh, rate, review, subscribe. We certainly appreciate all the support. You know, speaking about that ATA conference, and by the way, great shows. Definitely give them a listen. Highly recommended. But speaking of, of conferences, Reed, you and I are going to be at the Summit on Healthcare Marketing and Physician Strategies Summit in Chicago at the end of May, May 21st to the May 23rd. We're going to be there in force. We'll be recording a, an episode of the podcast while we're there. I will be speaking. Reed, you're going to be participating in some way. And we're going to be roaming the floors, just talking to you know good old colleagues, friends. So if you're going to be at the conference, make sure to reach out to us. If you want to schedule some time with us prior, we would love to talk to you while we're there. Not only to you know, maybe get you interviewed for the show, but also just to catch up. This is one of those annual times where we can get back immersed into some of the latest trends, what's happening in healthcare. Always a great time, great conference, uh, lots and lots of smart folks. And so looking forward to catching up with everybody in Chicago. And so we'll get into some of the other places we may be over the summer and fall a little bit later. But again, be sure to check out healthcarestrategy.com to uh, reserve your spot. Let's bring this one to a close. But before we do, uh, what do you have for a recommendation this week? Reed, I'm going to recommend something that I was actually playing yesterday with my family. I'm, I'm big into board games. I'm big into games in general, but board games in particular. And yesterday, we had some family members come in from out of town. And we all sat around down together and we played us a game of code names. Have you heard of this game? Code names? No. Mm-mm. I'm not heard of this. I'm surprised, Reed, because it was ranked the number one party game on BoardGameGeek.com. I haven't gotten the newsletter this week yet. (laughs) Now, this is a great game. It was recommended to me by someone I work with, and this is the first time I played it. It's a card game that you play with two teams, two rival teams. Uh, One's a blue team, one's a red team. There's cards on the table, and they give off clues to help your team guess all the cards that are with your team, the blue team or the red team, and not guess some of the other opposing words. And it's kind of like the password game where you can only use one word hmm. to give a guess as to what those what those related words are. It's hard to describe. It's a little bit hard to learn at first. And I'm telling you, it's a blast. We had such a good time. We were going to sit down and just play a couple of games. We ended up playing for like two and a half, almost three hours. And we didn't even realize it was that fun. So the game is called Code Names. Highly recommended. You can pick it up off of Amazon real cheap. It's so much fun with a group of group of friends and family. There you go. I'm actually going to change my recommendation now, and I'm also going to go with a game. I'll save my other recommendation for another day. This past week was spring break, and we stuck around the house and did stuff around our our place, and it, which was a lot of fun and, and kind of just nice downtime with the family. We played, especially my daughter and I, quite a bit, but uh, Rummy Cube. Have you ever played Rummy Cube? Oh, yeah. Remember that game? I do. I like that game. Yeah, it's been a long time since I'd played that. We got a kick out of doing that, and we we got a new version of Rummy Cube. And so, for those that have never played, it's just you draw a bunch of little tiles that have numbers on them, and they're different colors, and you try to put them in sets or runs or what have you. And the the, the idea is to you know go out you know kind of like Uno, you want to get rid of all your tiles first. The new version of the game has different jokers um, in it. Won't bore you with all the details, but. Um, go get the new version of Rummy Cube. Rummy Cube, the new version. You know, I have to. Does that mean we have to get rid of the old version? It's pretty much the same thing. There's just some additional jokers that do different things. Nice. Well, still, I mean, that old version of Rummy Cube I've been carrying around, oh, for the last ten years or so. So, I'll have to go check out the new one. That's awesome. Two games. This is the game show. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, very cool. Good episode. Uh, Again, part two of two. So go back if you didn't and check out episode 111. We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us. LinkedIn, Twitter, you know, whatever works for you. We've got some more feedback. So we'll be adding some more of that to shows uh, in the coming weeks and months. And uh, we've already got a lot of interviews in the can over the next six weeks. You'll be hearing some really cool stuff. 
and I just really appreciate the support. So as always, for Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.